I feel like all of the things that we tell people to do as physicians can be really overwhelming. But if we just focus on strength and quit worrying about fat loss and quit worrying about taking foods away and quit worrying about all this stuff, if we just focus on strength and protein macros, everything else falls into place much better. It's not perfect, but it definitely improves the whole clinical picture I found. Welcome back to the Energized with Dr. Marisa podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Marisa, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones, optimize your metabolic health, and feel energized in your body so that you can age powerfully and wake up feeling amazing in your body for many years to come. Let's jump on in. Hey, one more thing. Did you know that one of the biggest nutrient deficiencies that I see in people, especially women, is a magnesium deficiency? It's because we burn through this super mineral so quickly. Now, this powerful mineral packs a massive punch because magnesium is involved in over 600 reactions in the body. Now, it is your best friend if you need more energy, better sleep, a faster metabolism, improved digestion, and not to mention happier periods. And you can quickly replenish your magnesium levels with my essentially whole magnesium restore supplement made with my favorite form of magnesium, magnesium glycinate. Use promo code podcast and get 10% off your entire order at drmarisa.com slash magnesium. Now I'll have the link in the show notes for this episode to make it easy. Go and try it out today. One thing that Dr. Tina and I know for sure is this. Good health is an investment and an asset. It's really our greatest asset. And there is something to be said about choosing and having autonomy over our health habits that create our health asset versus having to deal with forced healthcare costs due to a scary diagnosis at around 65 or 70 years old. Now, I don't know about you, but I will always choose my autonomy. I will always choose the freedom to take care of myself on my terms for as long as possible. Now, over the summer, I got a taste of forced healthcare costs and hundreds of hours away from my family that I will never get back. After suffering from a brain injury that left me unable to perform simple daily activities that most of us take for granted every day. I couldn't drive a car or take a shower or even help my son Kingston get ready in the morning. Every morning, I woke up with this dreaded realization that I may not ever be back to my former self the woman who ran my household and business with ease and who showed up to play full out as a toddler mom. Hours of my day were taken from me due to countless brain treatments and doctor's appointments, which I am grateful for. But it was so hard on all of us. And I knew in that moment as I was coming onto the other side that I would do everything in my power to stay as healthy as I could moving forward. If I could get those hours back over the summer, I would in a heartbeat. And this is what I desire for you. What if you could choose how to spend your time taking care of your body so that you don't lose those precious hours with your family and friends 10 plus years down the road? And that's why I spent almost all of this year creating my metabolism and hormone reset course after devoting hundreds of hours of research to make sure that you had a powerful lifestyle solution that would reverse metabolic dysfunction and even help to reverse your biological age. Because right now, like right now, we are struggling to build our health and vitality asset. And the stats are clear on this. Right now, 94% of us are struggling metabolically, especially during the biggest hormone transition, which is perimenopause and then beyond. 
So if you want to learn more about the course, I will have the link in the show notes along with an episode that I devoted to the course as well, which is episode 535 on how to effectively reset your metabolism, lose weight, and upgrade your hormones. So all of that will be in the show notes for you to go and check out. Now, I also want you to know that Tina and I are in perimenopause. Yes, we are in it together, and we are intentionally doing everything in our power to keep our metabolic engine running, build muscle, and lower inflammation, while also taking hormones to extend our reproductive longevity. And today, we are going to get into the nitty-gritty of what it looks like to maintain good metabolic health during a time in our life where it's harder than ever. And if you are in perimenopause or in menopause or postmenopause, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You are literally climbing a bigger mountain once we hit perimenopause. We are also going to dive into the research around Ozempic and how GLP-1 agonist peptides can be used to walk back diabetes prediabetes, and cardiovascular risks when done properly under proper guidance. So let's jump on in. And before we do that, I want to quickly sing Tina's praises. With nearly three decades of experience in the medical world, Dr. Tina Moore is a leading expert in holistic regenerative medicine and resilient metabolic health. Traditionally and alternatively trained in science and medicine in both naturopathic physician and chiropractic, she brings a unique perspective to those wishing to build a more robust foundation in their health and well-being. She is a fierce advocate, and you will hear that today, for health autonomy and personal responsibility, which she helps others to improve through her many offerings at drtina.com and her podcast, The Dr. Tina Show. Let's welcome Dr. Tina to the episode. Welcome to the Energized Podcast, Dr. Tina. Oh, it is such a pleasure to have you on the show. I cannot wait for this conversation. How are you doing today, girl? Oh, I'm great. I'm so excited to connect with you again. It's been years and I was so honored that you asked me to be on. So pleasant surprise. I'm excited to be here. You know, I've been watching you on IG, on Instagram for quite some time. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we are talking about the same thing. But girl, you go harder than I go. And so I've been so inspired. I'm like, I'm ready to go this gangster. I'm ready to like really just let people know kind of the hard truth of this transition that so many women, at least my women, I probably your women are going through, which is that perimenopause and the menopause and the postmenopause transition. And we're all wondering what the heck is going on with our bodies and why is it that it's so hard to get the results that we used to get? And, you know, you and I both know the stats. They're not looking super great for so many of us in terms of chronic diseases and all-cause mortality. And so what I want you to talk to us about is I'm not even trained for menopause, but how do we even train for some of us who are stepping into perimenopause? Because even yeah. that is a wild ride. Like, I know you talk a lot about training for menopause, but also we're in, you and I are both in perimenopause right now. And we were talking about what it feels like to be in it. And let me tell you, it wasn't all positive. <laughs> <laughs> no, it feels like puberty, only adult, you know, adult puberty. It is very, it's a strange transition. And I enjoy really regular cycles still, you know, I knock on wood. I say that every time I say that out loud, something happens to my cycle the next round. So I say that with a grain of salt, but it is definitely been a slow transition. And while I don't really fit the criteria, even for perimenopause, aside from my age, I'm almost 50. So clearly I am, I still have these like very regular 28 day cycles for the most part, because I enjoy good health and 
really, I will say I started preparing for this when I was around 40 because my mom had such a horrific menopause experience. I mean, the wheels just fell off the car. She gained a bunch of weight. She had some very severe hip issues. Like that's a whole other conversation is the musculoskeletal component of this. Like people's joints literally start melting on them is what I've seen clinically. And she fell into metabolic syndrome, which they didn't have a term for at the time. And it just kind of that low grade prediabetes. And I watched it just completely derail her. So around 40, I started literally training to prepare. And I knew that through my research, I was like, I got to put muscle on. I think that's going to be the one suit of armor that gets me through this the best, the most unscathed. And thank God I did. I'm so grateful that I actually committed to the strength training process because I had no idea the benefits at the time until I really started getting into it. So that part I have dialed and I think it's harder. I think a lot of women find themselves smack in the middle of it. And it's just literally a smack, like everything's fine until it's not. And they weren't prepared. They weren't really dabbling with the bioidentical hormones. I mean, I've been using progesterone and bioidentical hormones at physiologic doses off and on since my early thirties. So my goal has really just been to like slide through this as unabruptly as possible. And yet it's still fairly eye-opening. I mean, it's been quite the experience less, especially with stress. I think we underappreciate what stress adds to this equation. And I think with the pandemic, it's been a very uncertain time for everybody for the past three plus years. So that's been probably very challenging for most people. And then when you add an acute illness on top of things. So I've noticed a lot of women, at least my followers have, and maybe yours have too, you know, they haven't been the same sense kind of thing. And that was a conversation I had with a lot of patients prior to COVID. Just when you get hit with something gnarly and it throws you off into an illness cycle, like maybe you get a bad flu or, you know, it's often a viral infection. They'll say, I haven't been the same sense. And I feel like some of these events teeter us over into menopause. So a lot of people are sort of sitting on the edge of maybe some low thyroid, or they're sitting on the edge of some adrenal fatigue, or they're sitting on the edge of some hormonal disruption. And I shouldn't even say it as severely as menopause, but whatever that illness is, or that stressor, or maybe it's a divorce or a death in the family, something major kind of sets them over the edge. And they're just not quite right after that. And they don't know what to do. And I feel so grateful to have my education and my knowledge about hormones and access. You know, we were talking about privilege and really, I mean, to have access to this kind of information and to, you know, great people who can help me and to the hormones themselves has been a godsend. I don't know what the average middle-aged woman would do without it. I guess what I'm saying with that is like, if you can make it happen, I highly encourage people to look into bioidentical hormone replacement. I don't think it's necessary to try to navigate this without it. It's kind of unpleasant, actually. <laughs> so it's extremely unpleasant. Yeah. And they're just too important. Yeah. We're not trying to create a hormonal milieu of a 25 year old by any no, means. I no. just want to, like I was telling you off the air, I actually went without all hormones for about a year and a half just to see, I don't know what I was doing. I was just sort of swimming in the stress of COVID. And Tina, how old were you then? Was it like 47, 48 when you decided to take yeah, a little break? Bad, bad idea. I'm not even going to say what were you thinking, but I'm just saying. I have no idea. Because you probably felt really great at the time. I did. what I'm guessing. <laughs> I did. And you're like, maybe I don't need all this. I'll actually tell you my thinking. Okay. Yeah. Candidly. Because I actually have a theory that I have never really dived into. And I'm going to do a whole podcast episode on this myself on my show someday. So for one, I started getting really lazy about taking my thyroid. That was a terrible mistake. I mean, that's the one hormone I say, if you go on it. Don't get off. Don't yeah, get never. off it. 
Nope. And it's okay. Why would you want to? Why would you want the brain fog and the slow cognition and the pain and the heart attack risk and the dementia risk? And, oh, oh yeah. We don't want any of that. Of that. Sl- bad immune response. Like, give me the thyroid. I joke that if the zombie apocalypse happens, I'm probably going to have to find squirrels and suck out their thyroid glands. <laughs> I'm not going off thyroid. So I take it you are on like armor or something like that. You're mm-hmm. actually on a glandular. Okay. As am I. I'm just putting it out there. I actually changed the dosage and I used to do this with my patients. I changed the dosage based on season. And so I live where there's four seasons for sure. Not as drastic as some places in the country or the world, but I definitely notice that come winter time, like the transition of the seasons, thyroid needs change. Mm-hmm. So I go up or down depending on the season, depending on how much sun I'm getting, depending on how active I am. And you live somewhere where it's fairly temperature It's either surfing controlled. season or not surfing season. It's really what it is in my neighborhood. I can tell. I love that. And girl, it rarely gets into the 30s. Got it. I love it. No, I grew up down there, so I get it. Yeah, it was a whole different world. And then here's my theory. Yeah, I want to hear it. Women need very tiny amounts of testosterone, right? We need very small doses compared to men, which makes sense. But we do need it. And we do need it. It's the most biologically active hormone in our body. Absolutely. And it is so critical for healing and it is so critical for joint health and it is so critical for that anabolic need that we have as we age, as those abilities start to decline naturally from aging, we need it. I always say, if you need testosterone and you're not on it, especially if you're a man, you've got one foot in the grave, like straight up. If you're a man, especially if you're a man or male and you are struggling with any myriad of symptoms, even in your thirties and forties, your risk for heart attack, diabetes, all of that skyrockets if your testosterone is not optimized. So I'm a big fan. I did a whole podcast episode on it, like for women and men, like I'm a big fan. And then I don't know why I slacked on the progesterone. I think it was just laziness. I just started slacking. And there is some argument, you know, the oil form topically oil does penetrate better than cream. I'd always use the cream. I think maybe the cream wasn't doing it for me. I wasn't really noticing the improvement. And I was trying so hard to get my cycle pleasant. I was having some PMS symptoms that had come out of nowhere. And, you know, sure enough, it was from drinking too much wine. As we hit middle age, red wine is no longer that poor liver girl, that poor liver. <laughs> <laughs> it's just middle age. I used to kind of like secretly laugh. I shouldn't say laugh. I used to secretly kind of chuckle when my middle age women patients would be like, I can't drink red wine anymore. It just ruins me. And I'm like, oh, that sucks so bad for you. And here I am. And it sucks so bad. It's you girl. It's you. Uh, yeah, it's me. Yeah, it's me. It's off the table. So, and of course, Carrie Jones is one of my dear friends. I'm texting her, telling her about my PMS symptoms. And she's like, how's your wine intake? So I quit drinking wine for a year, completely no alcohol for a year, gave it a year just to see. And sure enough, all of my hormonal symptoms improved. And so that's also when I went off my hormones. I thought, let's see how much of this was potentially alcohol intake and some other factors. So I don't know what I was doing. It was a bad idea. I don't encourage anyone to do that. But since being back on things and I cycle them, I don't take high doses. I just take what I need, physiologic dosing. I keep them monitored and I feel so much better. I actually had a slew of really terrible injuries last year. I ripped my intercostal muscles out of nowhere doing nothing. I almost completely ruptured my Achilles. It was hanging on by a thread just from doing some interval sprints. I mean, it was just nothing. Like I was doing nothing and my tissues were tearing apart and I thought, well, screw this. So I went back on testosterone and thank God. And it's also really helped my autoimmune disease. I have psoriatic arthritis, so I endure a lot of pain. And that's not a fun autoimmune disease to have. No, no. And it really flared. I mean, none of them are, let's be honest. Yeah. That's like a whole different, 
there's been studies comparing rheumatoid arthritis pain to psoriatic arthritis pain and psoriatic arthritis pain is actually worse, which I couldn't imagine having worse pain than my rheumatoid arthritis patients. So I have a new appreciation for it. And it really took a toll in 2021 like that. The stress of everything really hit me. And so I'm not going off my hormones. Now it's just a dance of like keeping my stress low and tinkering with my hormones, <laughs> trying to find as much joy and fun in life as I can to you know, and love and all the other things that make our hormones happy. I hear that. And, you know, like your mama, my mom, I just watched her unraveling a metabolic yeah. unraveling and severe estrogen dominance. I mean, the whole thing. And I even share her story in one of my books because it was so alarming. I know it just definitely took her by surprise. And we got her on the other side of it with so many other wonderful tools, but I was like, Ooh, is that coming down the line for me? And I had been dealing with stress since I was, I mean, a lot of us have, but really a lot of it really early on in age, as long as I can remember, honestly, with child abuse and everything. And so in, even in my mid to late thirties, I felt like I was experiencing symptoms of perimenopause. And so it has been on my radar being so conscious about everything that I'm doing moving forward. And so I think for some of us, especially nothing about the pandemic, nothing about these last three years have lended to hormone harmony for any woman, you know, especially when you are the epicenter of your family and you are running the show for everybody. Like it's really that added stress that did nobody any favors, didn't do your hormones any favors, didn't do your metabolism or your blood sugar, nothing. And so you've got that to contend with as well, along with just living this life where it is really not setting us up for metabolic success or endurance or strength heading into menopause. And so can you speak into what you've seen, not only for yourself, but also for the women that you've worked with, the kind of the stress component of all of this? Like, Yes, we could be doing so many of these things right, lifting weights, you know, making sure that we're lifting heavy stuff, we're managing our blood sugar, we're really paying attention to what we're consuming. And then we've got this other elephant in the room that can still be derailing us. Like, how have you been navigating that piece? I'm so glad you asked that because I don't even think it's just the stress that we are currently enduring. I think it's adverse childhood events coming back around for sure. I know for me, they show back up in mm -hmm. the funniest places. And, you know, I looked at a study a couple of years ago that said, if you had a certain ACE, you know, adverse childhood event score, mm -hmm. that your chances of living with chronic pain were like 85%. So you can almost guarantee it. And so many of us have, right. Yeah. And for various reasons, like you said, I mean, I was always stressed, even as a child, and it became a situation of enduring trauma, overcompensating. I had to get two medical degrees. I had to do everything extra, right? I had to be super successful. I had to have the most successful practice. I have to have, you know, it's constantly this, like trying to achieve things for what it's I'm like, clearly this is my trauma response. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, That's what I always I tell people. They're like, oh, <laughs> you're so diligent. You're so disciplined. You're so like, on top of it. I'm like, it's trauma. It's yeah, my it's trauma, trauma response. response. <laughs> I've been doing this since I was a child and yeah. I have not seemed to heal it yet. <laughs> right. And it serves us in certain ways, but it's also really devastating. And I think two things I want to say about that is we become addicted to cortisol. And I don't even think I was born with a normal cortisol response. My mom was so sick when she was pregnant with me. So it's like, we have cortisol resistance in the brain first off. So we're not even having a normal cortisol response. So like, for instance, when I had spent 2019, I called it my, it was like AA for cortisol addiction. I gave myself almost an entire year, specifically a very 
concerted six months to get off the cortisol. And I literally walked around this little cove of Portland where I was living with my little rescue dog that I had just adopted. And it was just she and I, and we walked around and I cried. I literally cried for six months and it wasn't sad tears. I was like off gassing grief and stress. I'd close my practice and I was like just purging. I don't That's even know purge, what girl that is. A I said to get rid of it. Yeah. And I was cool with it. Like there was no amount of therapy going to get me through this grief and this guilt and whatever else I was carrying with me. And I'd had a lot of friends die in a short amount of time and just all this stuff. So I was like, I'm just going to purge all this. And people would see me and say, are you okay? I'm like, I'm actually great. <laughs> and my little dog that I adopted, she was nearly dead when I got her. And they said, are you sure you want her? She almost died when we spayed her last week. And her gut was a mess and her, she was emaciated. Her skin was all infected. And I was like, oh, I got this. I'm a naturopath. I, I got this. <laughs> Give me the dog. We're going to be great. So she and I healed together. And then COVID hit. And I was like, damn it. I had just come off the roller coaster of cortisol addiction. And COVID hit. And you know what? I got calm as a cucumber. The second that cortisol rush hit me, the second there was like, it's so familiar. Everyone girl. else was panicking. And I was like, oh, dude, I got this. It's like when an emergency situation hits, I turn into a Zen Jedi. I'd be a great ER doctor for a while until I Until you burned out. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, you know, that cortisol just like balances the brain out. I felt really good. I'm like, oh, I can help everybody. I'm going to be helpful. I'm going to do all the things. And anyway, it only lasts so long. And I've noticed as I get older, those tolerance bands are shorter and shorter and shorter. So I can take the hit, but it's very costly. So I might get the high. I might feel really good. I might do a bunch of cool stuff in there. And it's not even a manic episode. It's just like a cortisol high from stress. And you're like, I'm in the zone. And then you crash. And it just ages you. And it just significantly takes its toll. And so I'm trying to find a place where I don't run towards it now. When I see it, I want to jump in and be the helper, right? There's my other trauma response. Like, I'm going to help. And I'm trying to sit back and practice stoicism and a bit of detachment, honestly, and just be like, you know what? This is not my battle. This is not my circus. I'm not getting involved. And so I think that's a huge one, especially as this age group. I know you're a new mom. My daughter's 23. I was a single mom for most of her life. And so she and I have a very special relationship, but I acclimated to her moving out. I think a lot of women in our age group, though, are dealing with empty nester syndrome and their whole lives have been around their children and now their children are moving out or moving on. And that's a really challenging time because these women have to reconnect with their partners and find that relationship place again. And I think that has a significant toll on hormones. And I think another factor we're not considering is a lot of these men, like we were talking earlier about my hypothesis. I think we're dealing with a lot of female, at least I know I was dealing with a lot of female patients and no one talks about this, but their husbands were in terrible health and their yeah. husbands were on a ton of medications. And we know that microbiomes are contagious and health issues, even non-communicable ones are contagious. Like you live with someone with heart disease, your risk of heart disease goes up significantly. You live with someone who's dealing with obesity and diabetes, your risk goes up significantly. And so I think that not only are women dealing with that regularly, this is what I hear from my followers a lot is like, how do I convince my husband to get on board? Cause he's so unhealthy. Well, and I think even just the kind of more glaring is the caregiver burden of women taking care of their partners. I was just taking care of a patient on the phone and we were going through all of her supplements and everything and her routine. And she's like, Oh, you know, my husband's got this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And I was like, yeah, I know. And she's like, would this be helpful? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, you know, cause he doesn't even know what he's taking. 
I do all the things. I set it all up. I do all right. of it. And she's like, you know, I've got this C-man who's on, he's eat like a 10 year old and all these problems. And I was like, man, like that's your burden. Like yeah. that's your caregiver burden. You know, if even kids are out of the house and you're still worrying about them, don't get it wrong. And you've got someone you're taking care of and you've been taking care of, you know, even that is playing a role in all of it too. It's exhausting. Absolutely. I have a colleague and a friend. She's actually my naturopathic doctor and Dr. Heidi Peterson, brilliant lady. And she said that when I was in my thirties, my early thirties, I was training with her and I was spending a lot of time precepting at her office. And she said that what she sees in her middle-aged women, cause she's kind of like the hormone guru in town. And she said, women who hit middle age do one of two things. They either, cause our estrogen declines as our testosterone may or may not increase. It usually does not increase. It usually declines also, but the estrogen itself declines so much that we get a little bit more testosterone dominant. And this is where you see middle-aged women get a little bit more assertive, a little bit more aggressive. The balance is changing in the body, right? And so she said that one of two things happens. They either step into their ultimate power in their forties, which is totally what I did. I mean, that was like my power decade. You either step into your power and you own it and you kick ass, or they look at their world and they think my children have moved on or moved out. My husband doesn't appreciate me. He's let his health go. And they fall into this victim role and they kind of lose themselves in it. And it breeds a lot of resentment. And so they might become bitter and resentful. And I know you and I both have probably dealt with patients like that. It can be a very difficult age group of women to deal with is that middle age, especially if their hormones are messed up, especially if their estrogen's off, like they can become very ruminating and challenging. And so that's the role I don't want, right? I don't want that. But I felt those feelings at times and you just kind of like turn into a slug because you're like, oh, my job is done. I'm trying to focus on myself, but I don't have any hobbies. I don't have anything to focus on. So I'm just going to kind of like dump out and they find themselves waking up with 40, 50 extra pounds on them. And now they're devastated. They don't know where to start. They don't know which way's up. And my heart really goes out to them because I've had so many patients like this and I have so many followers that express this. And it's like, literally, you know, 2020 started, they were in the best shape of their lives. All the stress happened, all of the mandates, all the nonsense. And then all of a sudden they're like, I'm 40, 60 pounds heavier. I feel terrible. I'm your age. What do I do? And I'm like, oh man, this is a tough one. And maybe a lot of them have never really taken up exercise or particularly strength training. They were all like cardio addicts, running lots of metabolic stuff, high metabolic stuff. And they're not doing that slow methodical strength training. And they don't know how to start there either. And that's a tough spot to be in. And I feel for them, you know, there is a way out, but that's a harder haul. Well, let's get into the harder haul okay. because at the end of the day, there's <laughs> millions and millions of women who are literally in that spot who are feeling pretty unmotivated because they're thinking nothing's going to work. And I think that the truth that we're putting on the table here is it is a harder haul. It's a hard haul for those of us. I'm just going to be honest for those of us who have been doing it, right. you know, who have been training for this this whole time. I mean, I'm just going to say, like, I was really honest the other day where I was like, my blood sugar is optimal. My labs look great. I'm on hormones. I am so mindful of the things that I do every day. Yes. Am I still addicted to cortisol? Probably. Yes. I've, I have not done the catharsis purging that you did <laughs> for those six months. I keep pretending like I've recovered from my cortisol episodes, but girl, I wear a whoop strap and a CGM and I can tell when I'm spiking, I haven't even ate anything. I was like, oh, that's stress, girl. That's cortisol coming for me right there. Cause it still does feel good. There is this addictive nature to it. And 
I can disguise it as, well, I'm just showing up as a mom. I'm just showing up as a, you know, da, 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 da. And all the accolades attached to that. I'm like, I'm doing the good thing, but it's being driven by the drug of choice, cortisol. So even still, like, let's say I'm checking all the boxes. I'm not going to pretend like this transition is super easy by any means. And as you mentioned, you have a chronic condition happen, or you've got a trauma that happens for me. It was my concussions. Talk about a massive setback, like, cause I'm in this second puberty where it's a bigger, higher stakes game. It is oh, yeah. a bigger, higher stakes game when it was, when I was 13, that's for sure. And so even those of us that have been training for this and doing the things, it's still a journey. It's still a process. You're pivoting a lot, but let's say that for some reason you didn't get the memo and now someone didn't tell you at 38 or 37 years old, what's <laughs> yep. to come. And you didn't prime up or prep. And now here you are at 50, your cycles are majorly shifting. You're almost at the gates of menopause and you looking back and you're thinking to yourself, what the heck just happened to me? And so where do we start there? Because you're right. That's where the majority of women want to know, what do I do now? I didn't know back then I was supposed to be doing all this stuff. Right. That is a good question. So I'm going to give you two answers. I'm going to give you like the purest answer, and then I'm going to give you the allopathic answer. I think that number one, we have to strength train. It is not negotiable without getting into the nitty gritty, the biochemical and genetic pathways that are required for optimal mitochondrial function. And those are the powerhouses of your cells that we need. No, you don't have them. It's over. Yeah. If you have less than 50% capacity on those, expect high triglycerides, expect cholesterol problems, expect blood sugar above 90 milligrams per deciliter, expect high blood pressure, expect a hip to waist ratio or waist to hip ratio is something that like you're going to start to see those all unravel. Yes. And your whole metabolism is going to fall apart, which is that's what I harp on on my platform Mm -hmm. is metabolic health. All of that is contingent on certain biochemical pathways that require exercise. Yes. That's what we're getting at. Period. (laughs) Guess what your mitochondria love? (laughs) That's it. You have to exercise. (laughs) So you can continue to try to rev that engine at a high rate, which is like metabolic stuff, boot camps and, you know, orange theory and all of that stuff that I think that just drives women into being more burned out and more obese. It's a mess. It's very often the wrong. And we're stressed. Oh yeah. I did it. I'm 36. I plummeted to the ground on orange theory. Yeah. It's a mess. And so slow, methodical strength training and find yourself a coach if you can. And if you can't figure out how to either join a group coaching program, so it's a little more cost gentle on you or whatever you got to do, but learn how to strength train safely because my job was putting back together people's joints for over a decade. And please don't go into strength training unknowingly. And really you can create a lot of damage without knowing it. And it's not always readily apparent. It might be something that you just overuse because your form's off or, you know, you're not doing it right or correctly. So get somebody to teach you how to deadlift and squat. And it's heavy. It's not just body weight. I'm talking heavy strength training, slow, methodical, low reps, low sets. There are so many good strength and conditioning coaches on the internet that can explain this and you can follow them. I talk about it some on my platform, but it's really you know, you do one set really well, you can get 50% of the impact than if you did six sets. So even just doing one set 
correctly is really, really powerful and profound. And I think there's more to it than just the muscles. The muscles contracting quite literally set off these biochemical pathways I was talking about, and they get you where you need to be with your mitochondria. And secondarily, I think there's a central nervous system impact that we can't even begin to understand that I think is really, really only achieved through heavy lifting. I don't think you can do that with high reps of a low weight. I think five sets of five heavy deadlifts are going to do profound things <laughs> to your hormetic mitochondrial milieu. So I'll leave it at that. I would start there because when you start strength training, you not only get the physical benefit, but you get this incredible mental benefit and this shift happens and you become empowered and you're like, oh man, I got this. Whatever comes your way, you got this. There's the secondary impact of it will improve your sleep. Cause I know a lot of women in this age group. I mean, I've been having like a week of terrible insomnia, which is very unlike me at all. I'm a good sleeper and it is making me crazy. So I totally get it. We want to be sleeping, but I always tell people, and sometimes they get offended. I don't even want to hear about people's sleep issues if they're not exercising every day, because it's like having a poorly behaved dog that you're not taking for walks or a poorly behaved child that's not getting their exercise in. It's yeah, the same for you're us. You're not taking like, them to the playground. Not, you're just, exactly. They're just in the house. <laughs> right. They're going to make work. you crazy, right? Like if you don't wear your toddler out, your toddler is going to make you insane. So we have to wear ourselves out too. And that requires movement every single day, some kind of movement. I'm all for like, I'm a big lift heavy, do Pilates girl and go for walks. I'm a big lift heavy walks. Do yeah. walks, you know, because that's so great for mitochondrial function as well and for circadian rhythm yeah. and better sleep. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But yeah, if you love Pilates, do Pilates too. If you love yoga, do yoga too. And it's a yes and. Yeah. Strength train and walk. Strength train and walk. And then really prioritize protein. I'm not a big fan of taking things away. I realize people have food addictions. People have their socioeconomic issues. I get all of it. Let's prioritize protein. So I try to shoot for, and I rarely achieve myself personally, but I try to shoot for one gram per pound of body weight a day. If you're overweight, you're going to want to shift that a little bit, work with somebody, but really that's the only macro I focus on. I don't focus on calories. I don't focus on fat macros. I just focus on protein. getting enough protein. Well, you need to build that muscle. We need to at least maintain what yeah. we've got. Yeah. Hopefully build more. Yes. Because you're right. You make a good point. We are fighting against a freight train of muscle loss. It's not even just subtle anymore. Like if you're not actively going after muscle building, you are losing it. And as you lose it, you really destroy that mitochondrial function. So we have to be strength training and we have to be eating for it. We have to be sleeping for it. You'll sleep better if you walk and you strength train, you'll sleep better. You'll hydrate more appropriately. All the things just fall into place. Like you don't want to choose crummy food choices because you and garbage, you don't want to be eating junk food because you're like, I just work so hard for that muscle. I want to feed it well, you know? So I feel like all of the things that we tell people to do as physicians can be really overwhelming. But if we just focus on strength and quit worrying about fat loss and quit worrying about taking foods away and quit worrying about all this stuff. If we just focus on strength and protein macros, everything else falls into place much better. It's not perfect, but it definitely improves the whole clinical picture I found. So I don't know. What about you? What yeah, it aligns with me a lot. I am still a stickler about sugar. I'm still a stickler about yeah. ultra processed foods. I mean, oh yeah, for sure. You know, those That's are the types of things. Yeah. I mean, do you want to jack up your sleep? You know, eat some ice cream or drink a glass of wine before bed. And then yeah. there you go. There. <laughs> Kiss your sleep. The wine. Back. The wine is the, yeah, it's the nemesis. Oh, it's so true. Yes. I completely agree with that. But that's where we get nuanced. 
So here's the thing, your body will eat until it gets the protein that it needs. I believe this to be true. It's seeking out the protein that it needs. And so if you're trying to fill that hole with ultra refined carbs, you'll just keep eating them. It's just like a bottomless sink that you're trying to fill up. You (laughs) never fill it up. Yes. And then it just becomes a shame cycle. (laughs) Yes. Yes. But if you focus on the protein macros, I feel like a lot of the ultra refined carbs tend to fall off to some degree. So yeah, that's a given. Like junk food is a given. I'm not talking to the people who are like, I'm 200 pounds overweight and I live off junk food. My audience is the people like us. Like we're relatively on the tip. Things are starting to go a little sideways because of menopause. So that's more where I'm coming from. I would assume that people would be, you know, not going through the McDonald's drive-thru and not sucking down the Frappuccinos every day. And I mean, I guess that's the fun stuff to some people, but that's just poison. poison. Like all the poison out. (laughs) And I'm just saying there's millions of people who are on the brink, especially of women, right? Of prediabetes. And I would argue that the number one killer of women is insulin resistance prediabetes. Oh yeah. You know, because we barely need to be prediabetic to then have like significantly increase our risk factor for cardiovascular disease. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I think that's another elephant in the room that no one's looking at is how much closer we are to, you know, firing off, like heading towards these chronic conditions and not even being diagnosably pre-diabetic or type two diabetic, you know? Oh, it's crazy that there was a study that came out in 2021 that was looking at data from 2018, showing that 94% of US adults were cardiometabolically busted. Mm-hmm. So that's somewhere on the pre-diabetes to diabetes range. Mm-hmm. And the, as it goes, like the stepwise fashion is type two diabetes is at the very end of it's a the end. very yeah. long, terrible pathway that's happening for a decade or more before you ever get there. And if you understood by, I know you do, but if the audience at large, like were to really nerd out on the biochemistry of it and understand it the way that we do, it's like, oh my God, like the steps in between are terrible too. So this is why you have to strength train. And I say it's non-negotiable because the only way to get out of that is through appropriate exercise and obviously nutrition and all the other lifestyle things. But like exercise is so critical there and muscle is so important in that actually contracting the muscles is so important in that pathway. But type two diabetes, by the time folks get there, that's usually how most people are alerted that there's a problem. They're like, oh, you have type two diabetes and it's totally normalized now. And the doctors are like, oh, you have fatty liver and type two diabetes. And I'm like, this is terrible. (laughs) This is a disaster. Like to be there is such a bad place to be. And so we don't want anyone getting there ever. I don't want people getting to prediabetes. No, I don't want anyone getting anywhere near there. No. And we have so many women like literally crossing that border halfway through perimenopause. Yeah. Or going into it that way. Or going into it. Yeah. Or going into it with insulin resistance going and then. Yeah. The insulin resistance is. Yeah. That's the clincher. So to get your glucose inside the cell to be used as fuel, you know, this, you need insulin, right? That's the key. You need these GLUT4 receptors and that whole GLUT4 receptor process is just utterly destroyed when the insulin resistance takes off. And really, in my opinion, the fastest and most effective way back is through strength training. We make more GLUT4 receptors, right? We build more muscle. We make more GLUT4 receptors. It's like a mop. So think of your muscle as a mop Mm -hmm. to this insulin that we're swimming in, that we're all swimming in. And it's not just frank, overt insulin resistance. I think subtly, if you look at some patients, I know I'm dealing with this right now. I feel like I've got this low-grade cellular insulin resistance that's just happened from my age, like just from the act of aging 
we become more insulin resistant. It's called inflammaging. And if you look at your patient's labs that are in their 80s, I know for my patients, it didn't matter how active they were, how fit they were, how well they ate, they all ended up with this low-grade diabetes. It's just a fact of aging. We become more carbohydrate intolerant. We become more insulin resistant. And a lot of that's due to sarcopenia and muscle loss. So that's why I'm so adamant that people strength train and actually really fight for their muscle and really work for it because it's the only way to offset that. There's no supplemental protocol. There's no amount of you know, cardio, there's no amount of interventions that even pharmaceutical, but I will say the allopathic part here that I'm really intrigued about right now. So it's getting a ton of hate. I know the purest functional medicine community is all over it and just hating on it, but the drugs like Ozempic, Wegovi, Monjoro, those are peptides that the pharmaceutical industry basically appropriated. Mm -hmm. And in the functional medicine community and the regenerative, because my background is regenerative injection therapies. And so in our space, peptides are amazing and very, very helpful. And these are all just peptides that have been taken and are being used as anti-diabetic, yep. anti, you know, weight loss drugs. The hate on them, I don't quite understand. I think that what's happening is they are being used in an allopathic manner where folks are being put on ever-increasing doses and no other lifestyle modifications are being addressed and there's no strength training involved and there's no comprehensive program being implemented for these folks. They're just being put on severe weight loss drugs, maybe even being dosed too high, experiencing in some cases extreme weight loss, which miraculously though, a ton of their other health issues are going away. And is it the weight loss that's inducing the improvement in other symptomology or is it actually a secondary effect of these peptides? And I think it's both. It's both. It's a yes and for sure. Fat it's cells yes are and. inflammatory, but that's how we reverse. I mean, you think about outside of, you know, a lap band surgery or something like that, you know, how we reverse type two diabetes for some people is a significant calorie reduction Yes, that we can pull them out. So it's both. It's very much both. But these drugs are working directly on some of these processes that are blowing my mind. Like it decreases glucagon. It actually works centrally in the brain to decrease neuroinflammation, which is huge. And reducing cardiovascular disease. Directly. Well, let's talk about that. Directly. I'm a big fan. For me, it's a yes and in terms of, and I get that some people so far gone, again, type two diabetes is what it was originally designed for, where, you know, how do we reverse this? How do we take them out of this massive danger zone? And, you know, are they going to make some lifestyle changes? Mm, I don't know. But at the very least, let's just get them out of the type two diabetes dilemma. And even that to me, I mean, take it like whatever's going to get you out of that. Right. Like give these do folks it. a leg up because some folks are so metabolically busted that they are doing everything that you and I preach and they're, and they're just not, not getting anywhere. Not getting there. And yeah. it is such a hopeless, difficult position for them to be in. Or, you know, my background, like I said, is in regenerative injection therapies and in pain. And I'm really interested in how these drugs are working on pain. And the little data I found has been really compelling. I think that fat cells secreting their cytokines, their own adipokines, mm -hmm, their own inflammatory cytokines. Yep. I think they create such a pain profile for some patients. I think some people's fat is more painful than other people's fat or some areas of fat deposition creates more painful fat, if you will. And it's driving a lot of musculoskeletal and joint pain. And actually, I mean, increased leptin does terrible things to the joints. Increased insulin does terrible things to the joints and no one's talking about this. So I actually think these drugs 
when done appropriately are miracle drugs. And I cannot believe the amount of hate they're getting from the community. I'm like, are you guys not reading the same data I'm reading? Because used right. And maybe they need to be cycled like other peptides and not just continuously updosed. Yep. They need to be cycled and they can be microdosed. I mean, there's a lot yes. of variables. You know, we both have dear friends, all functional practitioners. And in conversations like this, you know, they have a lot of patients on them and they're even taking care of that. They didn't necessarily put them on them, but they're working around it or some of them did. And I think it is, you got to have a plan in place is really what it comes down to. Like I have family members. I'm not going to say who right now, because I don't want to call them out, but I have family members who are on it. And there's some family members I told some family members, I'm like, go get on it. Yeah, me too. They're on the borderline of type two diabetes. They are not implementing other lifestyle. And I know that we have a high risk for, I mean, who doesn't, but my family in particular, the Mexican side of my family, everyone's dying of cardiovascular disease at a very younger ages than they should. And I'm just like, that needs to be the thing that you get on. And they're like, really? I'm like, yes, yes. And so- But someone very close to me in my family is on it, who is weight strength chaining, heavy weights, high protein. We're doing all the things. I'm on the team that is helping her manage this. And she's lost 20 pounds. She's stronger. She's leaner. She's got more energy. And someone very close to me that I don't want going anywhere anytime soon. Right. So, you know, I have it now. Is she only going to be on it for like four months? That's, you know, they're going to come off of it and she may cycle back on it next year. Yeah. But it's being done very intentionally and the results that we're seeing, especially with our high risk of cardiovascular disease, like she's going to be around longer because of it. It's amazing. When it hits your family, when it's someone, you know, and love and you want them around, like you're going to pull every tool out of the toolbox that you've got. I really am blown away with the data that I'm seeing. And every single day, literally every single day, I find a new piece of data that I'm like, are you kidding? Semaglutide does this, semaglutide does that. And it's profound. And I think that we've only touched the surface. I think it's getting overshadowed by this narrative of, oh, the celebrities are using it and they shouldn't be on it when the diabetics are the ones who need it. And there's a supply issue. You can get this stuff compounded for really reasonable rates, guys. Like this is not, I actually think the story that's being told is being propagandized purposely because it is so powerful and potent when done appropriately that it might put the pharmaceutical industry, all their other little drugs they're giving people because diabetes, let's face it, very, very profitable disease process to have everybody get, right? Like the pharmaceutical industry is winning. They've got the blood pressure meds and they've got the statins and they've got all the other drugs that these are all side effects, symptoms of having busted metabolic health. And so when we eradicate that, what's left, right? And so I actually think the propagandization of it is somewhat intentional and they've got the Mm. whole functional medicine community pooping all over it too and saying, oh, this is terrible and nobody needs it. It's like, I don't know, guys, can we get some clinical studies done where people are doing what you just described, where there's yeah. a team effort and it's being done appropriately? Because that's how I'm wanting to apply it with my family and encouraging them the route to go. Because I come from a long line of round diabetics. And I mean, this could be a complete game changer for some folks, for a lot of folks. No, it is a complete yeah. game changer for a yeah. lot of folks. It already is. Yeah. You know, McCall, who's my thyroid practitioner, they've implemented a protocol inside of the clinic and the results that they're getting are mind blowing. These are hypothyroid Hajimoto's women who are already up against a massive hill 
They're already climbing this massive hill. Obviously, they're dealing with significant weight resistance as they're trying to navigate all the components of Haji's and hypothyroidism. And I think it's a 90 day or a little bit longer protocol. And they are reversing so many symptoms. They're reversing so many big biomarkers in these women who otherwise even working with them with the thyroid medication and all the things that they're doing, just we're not moving enough of the needle to get them out of some of the scary stuff that they were dealing with. And so I'm talking to McCall all the time about what she's seeing in clinical practice right now. And it is mind blowing. And so, yeah, some people are hating on her when she posts about it because they don't really understand what's happening in clinical settings. And right. again, it's all that propaganda that we're reading, but you know, in personal conversations that she and I have had, I'm like, to me, I'm just so grateful that there is one more tool if leveraged correctly, if used correctly, can really add extra years of high quality life. Yes. So that's what I'm interested in. I'm not interested yes. in living a gajillion years and feeling like crap and being in the healthcare system and having to go to hospital visits all the time. Like this last two and a half months with my concussions and everything, labs, doctor's visits, hyperbaric oxygen. I mean, I spent, I wouldn't say 10 plus hours of my week getting treatments. And I'm yeah. like, if this is a taste of what my seventies and eighties look like, no, thank you. I don't want this. This isn't the life I want. I spent so much time away from my family and my son because I was trying to get my brain better. And I was like, this isn't, and I get that this is an isolated, acute incident that happened to me, but I got a taste of what People are going through in their 70s and 80s, even in their 60s. And I was like, okay, I'm pulling all the levers moving forward so that I am spending my hard-earned money and my time doing the things that I love with the people that I love. And I'm not spending all this time in the doctor's office. Amen. Well, semaglutide decreases neuroinflammation and it actually induces neuronal regrowth. Nothing does that. Like there's just so many components of this that I think are really interesting and exciting. And I am with you. I'm so glad to hear you that your family is, you know, members are having good outcomes because I have several friends that are using it and it's night and day. It's just PCOS and all kinds of other conditions are just disappearing. They're just coming off the table or they're being decreased so profoundly that the lifestyle modifications are actually working. And so I just share this because I know how defeating it can be. I get so many messages from my audience and my followers and they're like, I'm doing everything you say. And are people in my private membership community, I'm doing everything you say. I don't look anything like you. I'm not getting anywhere where, you, you know, and I'm not using it. I actually kind of want to try it for pain. I think it would be really interesting to microdose it for pain, but I know that sometimes we need a little pharmaceutical intervention, whether that's bioidentical hormone replacement or it's some of these peptides. And you can use other peptides in conjunction. If you find a good practitioner who understands these pathways, there's just a whole buffet of options that are not being explored. And that's the one thing I hate about the whole Instagram influencer health community is like this puritanical, because if, you know, we have to practice what we preach and we have to share out information that's accessible to people and people get mad at you if you start talking about things that maybe they don't think they can access. But I'm telling you the stuff, yeah, well, there's cost prohibition, like it can be prohibitory for people in certain income brackets. I get that, especially some of these peptides, when you start adding them up, they can get very expensive. But that said, it's like, how much is your health worth? And what do you need as an individual to get pulled out of whatever cycle that you're in? And I think for us menopausal, perimenopausal women, sometimes we do get trapped in a loop and we need a leg up, you know? 
pull, I mean, pull all the levers. That's what I'm here to really advocate is pulling all yeah. the levers. And yeah, I get that not everyone can get, I mean, Prometrium, very inexpensive. I'm getting through insurance, you know, I'm on it. And the women that are on um, Wagavi right now are getting it through their doctors and, you know, it's like a small copay. And so a lot of these are available, maybe not all the peptides and it depends on what your journey is, but I just want you to just advocate for yourself. If you're listening to this and really try to seek out the people who can help support you with all of the tools, like right. go as far as you can go. And then again, at the foundational piece, lift heavy weights, meet your protein needs, manage your stress. Yes. <laughs> and do your best to, yeah. I mean, this is all bio-individual, you know, in this journey, I'm in it and I'm willing to pull all the levers to feel better, you know, because I know I could feel better. I know yes. what, I know I could, I know that I'm doing a lot of the things already and yes, could I feel better? Yes. Am I interested in that? Yes, I am. And you deserve it. I think that's the part that a lot of just going back to that middle-aged woman, I heard this a lot with patients is, oh, I have to check with my husband or that's a big expense. And I'm thinking, dude, your husband goes golfing constantly. Your husband has all these other needs that are being met and, or maybe the children are in six different sports and it's expensive. I know you have a toddler, but my best friend has like three teenagers and I can't even imagine how much money she's spending Ooh. in gas, sports, equipment. You know, it's a huge, huge expense. Then there's camps and thousands of dollars for these athletic camps everyone's needs are getting met, but mom, mom's wearing raggedy old underwear and dealing with She's 40 wearing extra the same pounds robe after and, 20 years <laughs> and feeling haggard. I get it. I've been there. So I do think that there comes a time and a place and it's not vanity. It could be. And that's fine. If it is, even if it is, you get to have that too. Yep. But we have to prioritize ourselves because our people need us. Our family needs us, especially those of us who are like the boss babes holding down the fort, making the big bucks and, you know, running Society the show needs us. They need us. And so these are the tools that we need to pull, the tools we need to implement sometimes. The cost is not the issue. It's how many years of good quality longevity are they going to give you exactly right? Like mm -hmm. I want to be climbing, dancing, having great sex, having fun, moving, Hiking, not being crippled. Traveling. Yeah. Yeah. Not All being hung up and, you know, I don't want to live to a hundred if I'm not rocking it out. So <laughs> And I want to be hot. I want, I mean, I, I deserve to keep my figure. I don't need I was, to watch it go sideways because I can't figure out how to get there. There are people who can help you get there. Yeah. I was talking to my team today about, you know, we just surveyed my audience, a big, big survey. And the big thing was stubborn weight gain that they're just struggling with that. And sleep was a part of it. Energy was a part of it, but it's always that. And was talking about, I'm like, and I feel that turning oh, yeah. 44, like I want to be in my size two dresses. I want to look lean. I want someone to look at me when I say I'm 44 and say, there's no way. There's absolutely no way you're 44 years old. You know, and those are the things that so many of us want. Like, I want the same things, you right. know, and I'm working for them, you know, and I want the payout. I want it. I want the results. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. I get you. And it's not even like, I just want to be hot for my husband. You know, I used to want to like turn heads in the room and I don't even care about that anymore. I want to fit in my clothes. I want to feel good. You know, I jokingly turned around recently and grabbed my belly. And I was like, I looked at my husband. I'm like, what the heck is this? You know, and I grabbed his. I'm like, what is this? Like, where did this come from? You know, and that's that middle age. That's that stubborn weight gain. I don't want it. It's not good for me. It's not helping my insulin. No, it's not. Sensitivity. I mean, that mm -hmm. bottom line is forget 
the vanity part, which I'm okay with vanity, like I said, but this is not helping our insulin sensitivity yeah. whatsoever. Belly fat go. ain't doing you any favors. And <laughs> none of us. Nope. That is only lending to more insulin resistance, whether you like it or not. And yeah, I yep. mean, yeah, I just measured my waist the other day and I was like, okay, all right. Okay. That's cool. You know, and so I was good with it. Like, but, and I'm doing, I mean, prioritizing protein. I had to take a hiatus. I've been lifting heavy weights, gosh, since Kingston was six, six weeks old. And I didn't stop lifting until I think my ninth month, you know? And so I've been, but then with the head trauma, I've had, this is now yeah. a two and a half month hiatus, but it's so weird to look at my weights every day in the garage or in, you know, in even everywhere that they're literally in like three rooms of the house. Like we've got weights everywhere. <laughs> I feel like they're looking at me just crying, they're you whistling. know, it's like, <laughs> we miss you so much. And I'm just like, girls, I'm coming back. Cause they're definitely girls, but it's weird. It's so weird to not be lifting. And I can't wait to get back to that. Especially for me being a Haji's a high, low thyroid person, weightlifting is the only way through, Yeah, you know, true. I don't want to burn myself out. I don't burn out on that. And so it's a double win for me. I, I get strong and I don't burn out my thyroid. So there's that. I feel like we covered we a lot did it. Around. I think we, yeah. we gave them a lot to chew on there. Oh, so you got a gift because a lot of us don't know that we are metabolically busted. I love that. So oh, yeah. you have a guide. <laughs> I do. I have, it's called Assess Your Metabolic Health. It's free. You can grab it on my website at drtina.com. It's T-Y-N-A. And it's a nice printout. It's actually the international guidelines for metabolic syndrome. So don't use it as a diagnostic tool necessarily. It's just a guide to educate you on whether you're sitting on the edge. And then more importantly, take it to your doctor and have a conversation because I think a lot of doctors are missing the boat because they have metabolic syndrome. You mean educate your doctor. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Go have a conversation. And if that doctor poo-poos you, go find a different doctor. Yeah. But I think this is an important entry point for people so that they know. I have a upgrade from that, which is a very inexpensive product called the Metabolic Revamp Toolkit, which kind of gives you the nuts and bolts. A lot of what we talked about today, more in detail with some recipe guides, et cetera. But really just getting started, knowing what you're dealing with, I think, and that's my platform. That's what I talk about on Instagram. It's just understanding where your metabolic health is and then what all is it impacting from a really practical standpoint, I think is, you know, I try not to be too sciencey because I realize we're all just normal people and we need good information that we can actually do something do with. Something so. with really. Yeah. And I think that's what you do a good job of. I took a look at your assessment and girl, I have one similar and I'm have more optimal ranges. I'm like, you know, if your doctor tells you, oh, it's normal. I'm like, mm -mm. you know, it's so, cause a lot of these range, especially for us as women, not normal. Not right. normal. So if your doctor's like, oh, that's cool. Like you're at the tipping point of your 149, you know, in your triglycerides. I'm like, that ain't gonna cut it. That ain't gonna cut it. You know, and so and that's the medical diagnostic guidelines. I mean, that's right. why it's so like you said, it's so broad. So yeah, you're a hundred percent right. Like those are my red flag zones. Yeah. That's on that guide. <laughs> but I saw it. I was like, red flag, red flag. You know, and but I mean, at least it gives you a general sense. And I think the other big takeaway is when you grab this guide from Tina, which please go do, get your freaking labs done. Go get yes. your annual exams. They will run all these labs. This is how yeah. we determine metabolic disease. Unfortunately, they're not going to tell you. Unfortunately, most of your doctors won't say nothing. You know, they'll make some general recommendations, but like you get a guide like this, it's going to tell you point blank. This is something that needs to be on your radar. Well, and like you said, I mean, waist circumference is for patients coming in the door. If their waist circumference is above, 45. honestly, the red yeah. flag is like your height cut in yeah. half in inches, right? If your waist circumference is larger than that and your blood pressure is creeping up and you're not strength training a couple times a week, in my opinion, you're sitting on the metabolic syndrome mm -hmm. spectrum and something needs to be addressed there. So, and that's most people. Yeah.
right? Not yes, judging no, that anyone. Is most it's people, just that's most just call people. It. Yeah. So that's where I'm just really passionate about this because like we've talked about the end of this story is you're in your fifties and your doctor says, oh, you have type two and you're like, the damage has been happening and brewing for a long, long, long time, which is what we, you and I both passionately don't want for people. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad we had that little mini dialogue at the very end because <laughs> that's the real talk. I'm just like, don't let them lie to you with those numbers. You yes. know, <laughs> thanks so much, honey. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me on. This is so fun. Yes, it was. And oh, I cannot wait for everyone to listen to this episode, girl. Go grab the guide. Yes. And let's get you on my podcast. Yes, please. I would be honored. That'd be fun. Whoa. That was a lot to digest because Tina and I covered a lot of ground today. And what I recommend is take what works for you and begin to implement it, right? It's that first step. Now, if you are curious about where you stand with your metabolic health, with your numbers, with your measurements, to get a clear sense of what is going on with your health, I recommend checking out Dr. Tina's metabolic assessment. I've already looked at it. It's pretty awesome. And I'm going to have it in the show notes for you to go and grab so that you can not only learn more about Tina, but also how to begin to heal any metabolic issues that you may be struggling with. Now, if you are very serious about optimizing your metabolism and hormones, I want you to go and check out my metabolism and hormone reset course and program. Yes, it's a two for one. It's both a course and a program, depending on where you are in your journey. If you are someone who knows your metabolism is sluggish because you've got a little bit of belly fat, you're struggling with energy levels, brain fog, you can't sleep at night, and you know that your hormones are shifting and waning, then the course is perfect. But if you're someone who knows that you have got to make some changes literally yesterday, then the program component of this course is phenomenal. You can literally dive in today. So you can go and check out the course. I will have it inside of the show notes as well. And just note that everything that you need to make powerful and long-standing lifestyle changes are built into the program. This isn't just a 30-day fix. The design of it is to be able to leverage it for years and decades to come so that you have good metabolic longevity and that you are reversing your biological age. So as you step into your 60s, 70s, and beyond, you're able to do the things that you want to do. You're able to live the life that you want to live, and you're able to do it feeling good. That is my intention for you. So again, all links are going to be in the show notes. And I just want to say if there was anything in this episode that really resonated with you or even piqued your interest and your curiosity, please go and subscribe to the show and also take a moment and rate the show as well. I am curating a lot of amazing guests in the upcoming episodes to come in these next couple of months. And you know, your feedback and your reviews not only help to shape what this show is all about, but also there are so many women who are looking for these answers. And by you subscribing and rating the show, you help more women step up to become the CEO of their health. Until the next episode, have an amazing day.